talk that you see up here about integrating the human rights of migrants into the global governance um, of migration. Um, so in a sense, what I'm going to, I, I know that you um, already heard a seminar on the, the Migrant Workers Convention. So I won't be going into the legal content or the content of legal standards necessarily related to migration, although I'm very happy to talk about human rights standards and in relation to migration afterwards if, if there is interest. But um, the, what I'm going to talk about is more really relating to uh, process and, and how, at, um, particularly at the, the international level, um, the migration is being governed um, and specifically looking at human rights and the, the, the place of the human rights discourse and the place of the human rights standards within that. Um, so it's really about kind of migration from a human rights perspective. Um, I put up something about the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, just because I'm not, it's, it's kind of, a, it tends to be a little bit at a lower level than a lot of the other um, agencies, so just in, in case um, there's kind of any um, um, interest, particularly um, from, from the perspective of what I'm going to talk about, um, it might be interesting to know that migration is one of six global thematic priorities of the, the High Commissioner, and that's in a sense, it's a relatively recent um, occurrence that the office has, um, within its work program, prioritised migration. Now, as a lot of you will know, um, the office provides a secretariat support to um, the, the Special Rapporteur on the Human Rights of Migrants, as well as the independent treaty body that you would have heard about in, in, in the seminar on the International Convention on Migrant Workers. But uh, this is very much about the voice of the High Commissioner and within the UN system, so in a sense it kind of it's, it's timely, really, that at a time when we're starting at the international level um, and at the interagency level to talk about migration, the Office of the High Commissioner has, has prioritised migration. And this is not going to be um, news to, to any of you. I mean, like the, the context for what I'm going to talk about really comes from what we see today and, and contemporary mobility patterns and you know, what has variously been called the, the age of migration or kind of looking at um, increasing flows um, or on, and also the, the, the place of kind of migration um, on, on the, the international agenda. Um, you know, we always say that, yes, migration, you know, it's kind of an unprecedented era of global mobility, but at the same time, international migration remains at 3% roughly of the world's population. So it's kind of a paradoxical, there's a lot of it, but it's actually, you know, kind of steadily been rising. And what one of the... And, and you know, in the research community, this is not news to you, but I think something that's coming out clear, more clearly to a lot of the international community recently is that actually migration is very complex, and it's not really you know kind of as easy, I guess, as as, as it was thought to be. It's, it's multidimensional, it's multi-causal, and there is in fact a blurred continuum. Now, whether this is recent or or, or not could be debated, but certainly. What used to be kind of quite easy distinctions between forced and voluntary movements is um, where we're, we're kind of coming to the understanding at least now that it's not that easy to say, well, okay, I'll put you in a box of a forced migrant, I'll put you in a box of an economic migrant, and, and you know, there, there is no gray area in between. And a lot of this, you know, the, the, the complexity no doubt is in response to state responses to migration. So in, in response to growing uh, barriers to entry, you see increasingly complicated and convoluted and from a human rights perspective increasingly vulnerable movements as kind of market forces 
uh, kind of attempt to uh, circumvent these these entry channels. But again, from from our perspective, and this is something that in effect, you know, we'll we'll go through the presentation, but it's also one of the challenges that um, the office uh, faces, and you know, as do um, the civil society that works on, on the human rights of migrants, is 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 kind of bringing the, the this very complex phenomenon, which really which touches on a lot of issue areas, as as you will know. Um, uh, working on migration, but to say that at its heart, migration is about human beings, and then to um, put that into a policy perspective, well, what does it mean when we say that at its heart, migration is about the movement of 214 million individual, you know, plus individual people? Um, and so, so that is, in a sense, the challenge that will go through what the, the, the more process-oriented um, discussion I want to have with you today. So, you know, we. we I said that I was going to talk about um, global governance, and again, you know, I'm, you you will all know kind of probably better than me the the various debates around what governance means. You know, kind of at what level um, governance happens, where you know who does govern, and 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 the, the many debates around it. But the fact of the matter, for instance, in relation to global governance of migration, and it's a very simple matter, is that the UN does not have a specialized migration agency. Um, those of you who work on forced migration will have worked with UNHCR, and there you kind of, in a sense, have uh, a good model. It has its flaws, obviously, but a good model of, of kind of bringing together the normative and the operational in one agency that does not exist um, in relation to migration. And so what we're seeing is, is kind of a lot of fragmented government spaces, and this really has implications for the, the, the discussion, the debate that we're having at the moment um, on migration, because they are various spaces that that um, that that in which government um, migration is discussed um, I put up uh, uh, a slightly ill-fated UN Commission on global governance kind of what they thought governance um, is and it really a lot of agencies or at least some of the rights-based agencies increasingly are preferring the term governance migration governance to migration management, and you know, civil society has for a long time had an issue with the, the, the conceptualization of migration management as a kind of very top-down state-led process um, of, of uh, governing relations. Um, and again, the, the preference for governance comes because there, there's a, a, a need to include non-state actors and a need to include diverse spaces in this governance. One of the, again, the paradoxes of, of migration, contemporary migration, is that at the international level, if you, if you were to hop into, to, you know, I mean, the Global Forum on Migration and Development or one of the, the, the state-led um, discussions on migration, it, it can seem a slightly surreal space because there's a lot of discussion about how governments, you know, are going to close down the <coughs> borders and then you're going to put in place that circular migration scheme and then people are going to come back and then there's going to be integration. And, there's really very little space for the non-governmental community in, in that discussion. Um, and there's also, it sometimes seems to be a kind of a, almost a unthinking or a blind deference to the concept of sovereignty um, without kind of an understanding of, of how that is being breached, um, not just by the obligations that states have under, for instance, human rights law, which breaches the whole concept of sovereignty, but also in practice how um, you know, having in place a border management system doesn't necessarily mean that the border is going to be managed the way that you want it to be. So looking at the various spaces which, um, in which um, 
migration is being discussed today. I mean, I put up the UN General Assembly because, you know, that's going to be um, important this year and then obviously is um, in an important place where migration is discussed. You also have, from our perspective, the Human Rights Council. Um, what I don't have there are the, the kind of the, the government spaces that happen within the, the, the world of the treaty law, for instance, the Committee of Migrant Workers, um, but not just that, the committee, you know, the various other treaty bodies that um, uh, guide the, the application of the other core international human rights instrument. Um, and just as an aside, I mean, I think it's important to recognize um, when we're talking about the legal, the normative basis for, for um, the human rights of migrants, we're not just, in a sense, and I use just kind of you know, parentheses almost, talking about the International Convention on, on the Protection of the Rights of All Migrant Workers and Members of Their Family. Because that, that as you all know, and as I'm sure was, was brought up um, when you talked about it before, is, is a relatively uh, contested standard. Um, and while we believe absolutely that it provides a high level of protection um, and, and specificity to the vulnerabilities of migrant workers and members of their family, um, what we're convinced, equally convinced, is that it is very much located within the family of, of core international human rights instruments. And so, for instance, having a discussion with the government that says, well, we are not going to ratify that convention doesn't mean that that discussion then ends. And you on then want to talk about your obligations under the covenant um, in relation to economic, social, cultural rights or on the elimination of racial discrimination. So just to say that there are you know, kind of other spaces apart from the, the, the convention. But then, kind of a, away from, in a sense, what my office kind of manages or handles, you've got the International Labour Conference and the various spaces within which the rights of migrant workers are discussed um, and, and uh, managed by the, the, the ILO. You obviously have the discussions on asylum and migration that take place within the UNHCR's executive committee. IOM's Governing Council and their dialogue um, series on, on migration um, is a very important space in which policy is discussed and certainly states look at that as, as, as one of the uh, leading spaces in which um, migration is governed. And then I've also um, included the World Health Assembly, um, UNODC recently last year there was a discussion within the Crime Commission. Um, that UNODC provides a secretariat for looking at violence against migrant workers. So there's, there's, there's really, it's, it's a very fragmented picture if, if, if you kind of stop to, to look at it. And, and a lot of the agencies that are working on migration in, in the sense, and, and the civil society, etc., that follow them, are realizing <coughs> that there's kind of bits of migration that are being talked about in, in um, a variety of spaces um, um, at the international level. And I should say before I move on from this slide that um, there's obviously you know, a, a, a range of different levels and places at which governance happens. There's the, 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 we talked a bit about sovereignty on the national level, but they're very important regional uh, government spaces. And in Europe, obviously, um, the, is, is, is kind of one of the most complete, in a sense, um, regional government spaces. But there, there's all sorts of... Um, regional consultative processes, as well as um, other regional arrangements, um, such as the Bali process, for instance, in the Asia-Pacific, where aspects of, of migration, um, kind of forced migration, voluntary migration are discussed. So, you know, kind of, in a sense, I'm, I'm having to skip a little bit lightly over those spaces and concentrate very much at um, the, the, the global or the international level. And you know, really kind of, there's, there's, I'm sure a lot of you in the room that, that know kind of much more 
um, a, a lot of this, this chronology, but I thought it might be helpful just to um, put um, as markers, really, um, rather than anything else, some of the, these, the, these big conferences and, and uh, kind of gov big government spaces in which migration has been discussed. Um, starting with, and it's a very arbitrary starting date, and you could go you know, back or you could go forward. It's a really, it's not a very linear discussion because, um, for instance, uh, at the ICP, at the International Co Conference on Population and Development, there was a big push by a group of states to try and um, get uh, uh, an international, uh, a world conference on migration, which was completely ignored and it kind of went away, the discussion, but then it, it, it went into different places and um, migration was a, was a big thematic issue in, in relation to Beijing, for instance, the World Conference on Women in 1995. The Millennium Declaration um, has, has a very important um, um, uh, statement on migration. And obviously the World Conference Against Racism, where there was a specific kind of particularly civil society, there was a big push within civil society to bring up the issue of, of migration. So it's kind of, it's come and gone really over, over the years, the, the whole issue of migration, and particularly from, from our perspective today, um, the whole issue of, of human rights and migration has, has, has kind of come and gone on the international agenda. And for many years, the, the received wisdom was that migration was too political an issue to talk about, it was too divided into the big blocks of north and south, and if you tried to have it on the agenda, then uh, it, it wouldn't work. And the the resistance to uh, the group of states that wanted the World Conference um, around the ICPD was uh, kind of seen as proof of this, this these big blocks, and you know that there, there really is very very little um, appetite, um, as you will hear even today in New York on on talking about migration. Um, in 2003, the Global Commission on International Migration, in a sense, it started to, to break some of that kind of received wisdom or started to challenge some of that received wisdom um, because this was a, a, a global co commission of, of independent experts that the Secretary General um, put in place. Um, and, it, and it spent two years conducting a, a quite a wide-ranging series of, of regional consultations and expert consultations. And it had a core group of states that were <coughs> advising it on, on the conclusions it would reach. And, I mean, sure enough, um, it, 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 was not, it was not able to be as uh, bold and as forward-thinking as it would have liked to be. But at the same time, it um, very uh, clearly included on its six principles for action, which were the, the, the kind of the, the recommendations of, of the Global Commission, um, strong principles on protecting human rights and strong principles on enhancing governance. And for instance, it called for more effective dialogue and cooperation among governments and between international organizations at the global level. Um, and it, had, um, it was criticized uh, on a number of, of, of levels for not uh, you know, calling very strongly for the ratification of Migrant Workers Convention, and on the other hand, for not um, kind of going all out and saying that you know, the, the, the problem that we identified at the beginning of this, that there is no UN migration agency, for not recommending that you know, there should be some kind of innovative institutional architecture put in place. Um, but it did recognize, for instance, it, it recognized a lot of the complexities that, um, that were kind of bedeviling the discussion on migration. And it also recognized that at the interagency level, at the level of, of the, the institutions and, and UN agencies, um, that there was, um, 
that there was uh, quite uh, a high level of, of incoherence um, because you, know, you had mandates that touch on bits of migration um, and nobody in a sense kind of had or felt they had um, the, the mandate for the entire um, discussion. And that led um, to the creation and again, I, you know, I really say I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a bit of this, this picture, and there's all sorts of other bits of the picture that, 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 that are there. So, um, you know, please don't see this as a, a linear kind of progression. But uh, one thing that did happen um, as a result, both of the Global Commission um, report as well as um, the high level dialogue that we'll come to, was an understanding that there needed to be a better way. Um, for the agencies at the international level to manage the coordination of, of migration um, and, and to work better, really, because of the fact that there were all of these fragmented mandates and there was, again, no appetite to create another, a new um, institution. So in 2006, after the high-level dialogue, the Global Migration Group was created. Um, and again, this didn't spring out of nowhere. It sprang out of what had been called the Geneva Migration Group, um, that um, and, and I'm sure this is no secret, but the, the reason that the Geneva Migration Group had been created was to stop IOM and UNHCR tearing each other's throats out. Um, and so they had, you know, kind of a small group in, in uh, Geneva, um, which was meant to uh, operate at the level of the heads of agencies, um, and it brought together a small group of agencies. The rec one of the recommendations that emerged out of the high-level dialogue was to open this up to more to all, well, it doesn't actually have all of the agencies, but at least a, a good proportion of the agencies within the system and outside, IOM is part of it as well, um, that, that work on migration. Um, and as you can see, um, this is something, and it's interesting because I, I, I pulled out, and this is from you know, the, the, the official um, terms of reference of the Global Migration Group, it's two aims. And um, the second, let's take the second first. It's, the second is to encourage the adoption of more coherent, comprehensive, and better coordinated approaches to the issue of international migration. So it's very much about bringing the mandates together and you know, making sure that they work um, in, in, in harmony. But what's been kind of forgotten, and actually we've spent, uh, from the office's perspective, we've spent a fair um, amount of our time over the last few months kind of saying that, no, actually, well, the first aim is to promote the wider application of all relevant international and regional instruments and norms relating to migration. Because that kind of normative component of, of, of migration and, and what um, the GMG is there to do kind of got lost in this, in this groundswell of support for, for greater coordination. Because you had the big agencies that came into to the Global Migration Group. You had UNDP, you had um, uh, UNDESA, which is the Department of Economic and Social Affairs in New York. Um, you have um, obviously IOM um, and uh, UNICEF, etc., that came in, and they were much more interested in in, in kind of a, a not less normative, but you know, kind of with the norms kind of not being as prominent, let's say, in policy responses. So um, this, in, in terms of of the integration of the human rights um, elements or the human rights framework into global governance or global policy responses to migration. It, it, this has been kind of some, you know, what would, would um, give us our marching orders, really, to say that it is about promotion of the norms. Um, I can talk a bit more about the GMG later if you're interested, but at the moment what it is doing is that it is recognized that it is a relatively inefficient coordination mechanism, and it's not doing very much, um, and uh, it's undertaking an internal review in order really to enhance its effectiveness. 
Um, and um, again, Martin assured me this is a safe space, but what's happening in, in New York, quite interestingly, which is very different from Geneva, New York, a lot of states are, are watching this internal review with bated breath, and they really want to know what the GMG is going to do, which is slightly concerning for those of us who, who are more interested in the normative um, application um, or, or the normative kind of side of what the GMG does, because we were a little bit concerned that member states kind of getting interested um, in, in the GMG, which on the one hand is a good thing, um, could also lead to um, it becoming closer maybe to an IO, you know, a, a mandate which is a service provision mandate and kind of um, allows uh, states to, to dictate the agenda um, of agencies working on migration. But anyway, I mean, that's what we're kind of um, work in progress on that at the moment. So the high-level dialogue, um, which I talked about um, in 2008, in six was again a, a you know a, a milestone really and was I think came as a bit of a surprise um, it was a, it was a mixed blessing came as a bit of a surprise because states could actually talk about the human rights of migrants um, and that there was a roundtable devoted to uh, respect and protection um, of the human rights of migrants and there was some very interesting discussions that took place but at the same time the entire dialogue resulted in quite a weak. Uh, chairperson summary, and uh, uh, in, in which is a non-binding. I mean, really the outcome was non-binding. It was not intergovernmentally negotiated. It was just literally the Department of Economic and Social Affairs, you know, took took all the, the discussions and, and put them together. And um, again, from if, if you read it with the human rights eye, the, the summary, you will see that the discussions on on human rights are not that well um, reflected. But it did result, um, which again kind of flew in the face of the, the received wisdom, which was that governments don't want to talk about migration, it's not an issue um, that, that, um, that is you know, kind of politically uh, feasible. It did result almost in the accidental creation of um, the state-led Global Forum for Migration and Development, which um, started its work the following year. And again, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the GFMD now. The, the, the Global Forum was not really what a lot of people that went into the high-level dialogue with a lot of kind of hopes and dreams kind of expected to come out of it. Um, the first and very important issue was that it was actually taken completely out of the, the UN um, setting. Um, and so it is, and, and, and they're, they're very particular about it. It's, it's voluntary, non-binding, and informal, and it's a consultative process. So they didn't, you know, states really didn't want to, to kind of think about um, intergovernmental negotiations, for instance, on the outcome. They didn't want to kind of get into um, binding processes, etc. Um, and there were some governments that would say very strongly that they didn't, you know, this was not a normative um, forum. This was um, about con consultation. Um, and, you know, I've said it that the, the emphasis was on sharing of practice. Some of it good practice, some of it slightly questionable practice. You know, I mean, a lot of it is kind of states saying, look, I did this, and another state saying, well, that's interesting, you know, maybe I can learn from that, which, you know, has, has, a, has, has, has an important role, particularly as a confidence-building mechanism, to allow essentially the people that, uh, the delegates that come to the GFMDs come from interior or home ministries. So there's a, there's a lot of kind of sharing on, on, on practicing related to that. Um, there, 
there were some significant human rights milestones in particularly for instance when the and there's an annual rotating chair when the Philippines took over um, the the chair in 2008 and held it in Manila they uh, for the first time insisted that there would be a roundtable that specifically looked at human rights um, and uh, at vulnerable groups um, and so this was then this discussion was then obviously reflected in the outcome of, of, of that um, GFMD and then most recently in Mexico where there was again um, a, a, a strong push from the, the, the chair of the government of Mexico uh, not only to include um, for instance the group that they had identified as particularly important um, migrants in an irregular situation on the agenda of the GFMD but they also tweaked a little bit the um, uh, format of, of the forum by establishing a common space where um, civil society could actually be kind of physically on the same agenda um, as, as the government program. Prior to that, what had happened was that you would have the, the civil society program completely separate, which would, you know, as happened in, in Belgium, the first uh, GFMD kind of transmit uh, a, a statement to the government forum which would choose to ignore it or, or take it on board as they, as, as they wanted. Um, again, I'm not going to go too much in, in, into detail because um, I think from the, there is, they, it's been recognized um, quite widely, I think, that there is a quite a weak normative basis to the discussions that take place at the GFMD. Um, and they also tend, because the emphasis is on the sharing of, of practice, it tends to be a slightly diffuse discussion. It tends to be very much at the, on the, the behest of the chair in terms of you know, what is talked about and what isn't. Um, so certainly from, from the perspective of those of us that are more interested in bringing in a more kind of structured and rigorous discussion on uh, human rights of migrants, um, it's, it's an imperfect forum in which to discuss it. But having said that, the states have, have, um, that, that, that formed a GFMD have um, just completed an internal assessment um, of of the forum for the last uh, since 2007, and they've shown a relatively high um, degree of satisfaction with the status quo. They're, they're quite happy that you know, with the in a sense, the confidence building um, element um, of of uh, the GFMD, there is some there is some um, thought to beefing up its its what actually happens, its recommendations and then implementation, but that's, it's, it's difficult as you can see within the context of, of, of the GFMD. So that's the, 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 the one kind of big, um, the big governance space that was established outside of the UN and will, you know, for the foreseeable future remain outside of the UN. Um, but one thing that again, that kind of um, has been interesting since 2006 and since um, the, the discussion um, that happened in advance of the first high-level dialogue is really this, this understanding, this reflection that states can talk to each other on migration and also that, that they are import, very important stakeholders that should be included in that discussion and there is a growing recognition that these stakeholders are important. I mean, if you talk to the ILO, for instance, they will say very strongly that in their tripartite structure means that they must talk to workers' organizations. I mean, there are very strong uh, voices from workers' organizations in, in, in respect of the rights of migrant workers, for instance. So they, they, this, the, the, the received wisdom that I talked about before, which is that 
you know, migration is basically taboo. You can talk about it at the bilateral level. Possibly you can have, you know, um, kind of regional discussions like the Bali process or a s the small, very shadowy group, um, or not shadowy, but you know, relatively kind of um, below the radar group like the intergovernmental <coughs> consultations on asylum. Um, you could kind of discuss migration in safe spaces like that, but you can't really have a global discussion on migration. That, I think, is beginning to see chinks in, 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 that, in that discussion. And one very important um, um, reflection of that came in the, the outcome document of the Rio Plus 20 um, <coughs> negotiations. And I'm sure you've all heard that, you know, that there was a wide level of dissatisfaction with this document that it did not have very strong protection um, elements or, in fact, implementation elements. But from the migration perspective, there was almost, again, quite unexpectedly, um, a strong and a balanced statement on governance, migration, and, and rights. It talked about the importance of cooperation and dialogue. It talked, obviously, about the buzzwords in relation to migration, comprehensive and balanced, and roles and responsibilities. But it talked about promoting and protecting rights and um, aggravating, uh, avoiding approaches that might aggravate their vulnerability. So it specifically talked about policy as well, to say that in your policy, um, on, on migration, it is important to, to avoid um, aggravating vulnerability, inequalities, etc. And this was important because this is an intergovernmentally negotiated document. This is not something that, that um, OHCHR or IOM wrote on the basis of, of you know, kind of expertise or, or mandates, but this is something that governments agreed um, would, would be their marching orders in relation to, to migration. So again, it kind of gives a sense of um, I, I think that we have actually moved on a little bit since 2006. Um, the other two uh, kind of spaces of governance that I wanted to talk about were, and again, you know, this is quite a process issue, but with the General Assembly, um, where the discussion tends to take place in um, and around the resolutions. So the second committee, which looks at migration and development, and the third committee, which looks about, at the protection of, of migrants. And in the the, the General Assembly's second committee um, this year, it was decided that in October, uh, sorry, the resolution was last year, right at the end of last year, and it was decided that the high-level that there would be a second high-level dialogue on um, international migration and development in uh, October this year, and again it said that there would be a roundtable too. And the problem with this is that. It, it, you know, it talks about human rights and then it talks about smuggling and trafficking. And they've also added a new element, which is um, in the ensuring orderly, regular, and safe migration, which again is, is, is one of the, the ways in which um, the human rights kind of knowledge basis is diluted maybe, or, or possibly the, 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 the framing is, is, is different, let's say. But at least we, you know, we still have a, a round table at, and on which human rights are kind of the, the key element. The negotiation of this, and you know, this speaks, I think, a little to the residual politicization of the issue. The negotiations in relation to this um, uh, uh, resolution were very, very political and very, very tough. And in fact, there is um, no reference to any outcomes. I mean, at least in the, the, high level, the last high-level dialogue, it was agreed that there would be a chairperson summary at the end. Um, this resolution is completely silent, and the reason for that is that there was a very bruising debate about um, civil society participation. Um, some of it has nothing to do with this discussion. Some of it actually comes from real, etc., where there was a feeling among member states that civil society had 
overstepped its limits and that there should be a, a, a greater process of selection and, and oversight in civil society. But in, in that discussion, the, the result of which was A, that the whole, what a lot of states had wanted, which was a negotiated outcome, uh, which would have been an interesting kind of first kind of break to uh, or, or counterbalance to this idea that you know no governance, interstate governance is possible on, on, on migration. Um, but then the other thing that has happened is that civil society again has had has got a, a smaller space in the sense that they they don't have a place in the actual um, high level dialogue um, as was the practice last time around, they will have a separate uh, civil society discussion uh, before the high-level dialogue. The third committee resolution also um, is, is, is traditionally a more friendly resolution, if you will, to, to human rights. But it does um, kind of uh, provide a mandate for, for those of us looking for one to um, to the high-level dialogue to include human rights in its in its deliberations, and it also uh, requests the Secretary General to analyze how a human rights perspective can enhance the design and implementation of international migration and development policies, um, which is particularly interesting um, because there's there's a lot of talk about um, international migration and development and the links, but I think that it would be fair to say that that's still imperfectly understood. And certainly from the human rights perspective, there's been um, not a lot of engagement with how a human rights perspective can enhance the implementation of policies. What an international migration and development policy actually means, I probably look to you know, a lot of you in the room for, for some enlightenment, um, because obviously um, the, you know the the reason that development was tagged on to international migration again is part of that whole consensus that migration is is too political to talk about. So if you include development, then you kind of bring on board those states that don't want to talk about migration um, on its own. But uh, for instance, I mean, I, I would you know kind of be very very interested to hear from um, anybody in the room that is that has um, uh, you know good practices or is is doing research, for instance, on um, this analysis, because the office will be writing the report for the Secretary General, um, and we very much welcome input to that. Um, and and the the, uh, the third thing that the the resolution does do is that it uh, looks forward not just to the high level dialogue, but also to the post 2015 development agenda. And as you know, um, the Millennium Development Goals are coming to an end um, in 2015, and there's a big discussion about what is going to replace them, particularly considering that a lot of the targets have, have been woefully um, not met. From the migration perspective, so what's happening in terms of the, the discussions, I'll just go to that person and talk about migration, it's, it's a bit of a, um, it's, it's confusing and, and I can assure you that, you know, it, it's confusing for those of us that have, have to follow it, so um, I'm not even going to try and explain in detail. But essentially, there's, there's kind of three big areas, and then some of them interact with each other. And, and it might well be that, as with the MDGs, eventually some technocrat sitting in a room is going to produce the, the new goals. But certainly, the, the idea is that um, the, the feeling was very much that the MDGs came out of a non consultative process. And so the idea is very much to, to try and, and, and change that this time around. And so you have 
the Secretary-General has appointed a high-level panel of 26 eminent persons that will be coming up with a, a report by May or June, I think. Um, separately, after Rio, uh, governments establish an open working group. Um, it says 30 government members. Actually, what's happening is that there's regional blocks and there's a rotating membership among the regional blocks. And then within the UN, there's a task team that has been set up, which is conducting consultations in relation to 11 thematic areas. What is interesting from the migration perspective, given that migration was almost entirely absent from, from the MDGs and, and, and their um, targets and indicators, is that there is one specific consultation stream on population. And that, I think, coupled with the, the understanding from the, the uh, outcome document of Rio Plus 20, means that we will probably have at least some reference to migration um, within whatever is going to, to replace the Millennium Development Goals. The, the consultation on population, which is obviously a, a, you know, is, is formulated within the UN and then the, the consultations are happening with private sector, with civil society um, and uh, between governments, um, includes urbanization, aging, demographies, um, um, which includes, you know, kind of fertility patterns, etc., as well as migration. So it, it is kind of part of a crowded field. But um, the UN task team, at least, has um, said, has agreed that the three goals that should guide the whatever comes after the post-2015 development agenda um, should be equality, sustainability, and human rights. So in a sense, you know, the, there's a double kind of challenge here. It's not just bringing migration into the discussion because there's, there's a lot of, in the population consultation at the moment, for instance, there's a lot of discussion about uh, demographics and how migration as a phenomenon can interact with um, the other kind of demographic phenomena, et cetera. But what we're trying to do in addition to that is to bring the focus on inequality, which is you know, a kind of separate consultation, but to bring focuses, for instance, in relation to inequalities, in relation to discrimination, um, and, and in relation to the human rights framework into the, the discussion um, and these, these consultations. So again, I mean, you know, pretty much everything that I've said today is, is, is a bit of a work in progress because these, these consultations um, will will come to some sort of a head in, in the autumn of this year, around the same time as the high-level dialogue is taking place. Um, and by then, there will be a better idea, um, but also of what this governance, these governance spaces will look like. But also, I think, kind of gives um, a, quite an interesting lead time of these months in which to um, try and influence all of these various um, quite fragmented strands of discussion. So um, I'll just, you know, again, I don't really know how much I can conclude, but um, one of the conclusions from um, the recognition that the governance space um, remains weakly institutionalized is that there, there are uh, a certain level of inefficiencies and gaps um, that, that, that we can see. And one of the most important gaps that we would identify is a comprehensive attention to the human rights of migrants. Um, recognizing that there are important kind of issues in relation to not just inequality and discrimination, but participation, accountability, etc., in relation to uh, migration and the discussions. And one of the reasons I think for these gaps is um, what we've been hearing the last um, few in in the last few uh, months of discussions that human rights are 
um, uh, kind of widely in, in a lot of circles dismissed as divisive or irrelevant or even elusive. There's no way we can measure these things. But there's no way that they belong in a development agenda because there's, there's, they, 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 you know, they, they're kind of about an amorphous sense of well-being and well-meaning rather than um, something that is, is um, uh, you know, as I would say, they are legally precise. They are, you know, they are indicators um, for for their uh, implementation. But so that there is there is a bigger kind of um, debate then, which obviously is is about migration, but isn't just about migration. I mean, this is this is a kind of a, a in a sense, I would say, mischaracterization that is being um, uh, a, a challenge for for the work of human rights and, and throughout at the moment. Um, and you know, it, it, the, the the question really remains that the the contemporary sites of global governance and migration, and you know, from the, the kind of incipient discussions in, in the UN as well as the global forum, they, there is, I think, a growing recognition that they do not, in fact, respond effectively to the contemporary realities of migration, that, in fact, the, the context that we spoke about right at the beginning, the fact that migration isn't um, a kind of a neatly boxable quantity anymore, if it ever was, but that you can't kind of say, well, you know, that's ILO's mandate and that has nothing to do with UNHCR's mandate or, or, or HCHR's mandate, and the, the policy implications of, of, of that, obviously. Um, it, it, it's not really that easy to say anymore because we are seeing so much more of, of these kind of cross-cutting issues. And finally, you know, again, the, the, the mix, there's one thing to say that the migration should be a part of the development agenda, but I think it's quite another thing to say that every time you talk about migration, you have to talk about migration and development because the development agenda is obviously um, an agenda that is um, rounded in its own right, but it, when applied to migration, it kind of primarily looks at the contribution or negative impact of migration on development. So it looks a at migration as a phenomenon, and then it looks to see well, you know, how how do migrants contribute to or how do they challenge development processes? But the focus on the individual, and again, you know, going back to issues in relation to inequality and discrimination, vulnerability, etc., are then kind of they sit less easily in that conceptualization. Um, because they kind of look, they, they look more at the instrumental value um, of migrants rather than the intrinsic um, human rights. And a lot of what I'm discussing, what I've discussed today, and this is why I was particularly happy as well to come um, to to speak to you, um, is that we've been asked by the, the the office has been asked by the Secretary General to um, write a report to kind of look at some of these issues in of. of um, governance, migration, and human rights um, in, in advance of the, the high-level dialogue. And so what we're, we're trying to do really is to bring our, get our thinking in order um, to, to have an advocacy point. I mean, I think that there's um, the, the discussion that happened in the Secretary General's Policy Committee, which is where this report comes out, it was, was again, a, it was quite a tough discussion because there's a, there wasn't consensus, let's say, in the interagency world that OHCHR as a which has the mandate to mainstream and promote human rights is necessarily at all relevant to the discussion on governance. But what we're trying to say is that it's actually um, the, the, the issue um, of, of uh, governance is integral, you know, is, is intrinsically related um, to the protection of human rights. And in a sense, you can't kind of just go away and have a little discussion in the Human Rights Council about ratification and implementation of the International Convention of Migrant Workers if the only discussion that you're having at the international level, you know, kind of look at migration as a phenomenon and remittances and, and, and 
uh, diaspora contributions because it, it tends to be a very uh, disjointed discussion. And of course, the you know the, the we are very happy to um, um, it's not the right word, but we're very happy to concede that uh, not all migrants are vulnerable. Um, and obviously, the the lens, the human rights lens, lends itself to a specific focus on vulnerability. But again, going back to the context and um, looking at the, the the inequalities inherent in global migration policies and in the global migration context, we would argue that it makes it quite perverse, if not incoherent, to to attempt to govern migration without specific reference to uh, human rights standards. Finally, a final word from the Global Commission on International Migration, because I think that they, um, they, they came back to what is going to be the number of the issue, um, which you know, they, they said that there has to be a fundamental overhaul of the institutional architecture. Um, and they said without saying it that there will eventually maybe need to be a UN migration agency, or at least something closely resembling an agency that brings operations and norms into the same well-resourced uh, basket. Um, that's not a discussion that's, you know, this round of discussion of global governance is, is not the place to have that discussion. Some agencies have tried, and uh, it will be a feature of some of the internal discussions that are taking place within the Global Migration Group, but um, there definitely is no appetite um, for that discussion now. But I just wanted to kind of put it out there because um, and, and this is a personal view um, as well. I think that that is the crux of, of, of some of the issues. Is if you look at the way the international system is, um, the, the lack of a strong kind of unified voice, which is recognized as a leader, um, which is then able to implement in the field. And that's very important because obviously these migration isn't an issue that's happening in, in the corridors of the GA in New York. It's, it's happening where our agencies and where civil society and where um, academic networks, etc., exist on the ground, um, and so there has to be that connection made. But um, that's maybe for another day. <laughs>